The pursuit of more is the masquerade of our impulse for what eternal. So when we see ourselves chasing more, we are not really chasing more. We are chasing eternity. What we really want is eternity in life. But we end up chasing more. As the human heart is eternal, it can only be satisfied by eternity or something eternal. So the human heart was designed to live eternally. We were designed to live eternally. Therefore, we can only be satisfied by eternity. A person may be praying or dreaming of having a job. Once they have a job, they start dreaming of being promoted in that job. Then after they've been promoted, they start dreaming of owning their own business. Then they start they own their business. After they've owned their business, they start dreaming of expanding that business. Though they have more, 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 more locations, more customers, more influence. And then after they've got more customers and more influence, they, st they start to thinking to invest in another business. And so on and so on. What are they chasing? What do we chase? More. More. In everything, we want more. But the reality is, the more we chase more, we realize that we don't get satisfied by more. In fact, how do we define more? How do you know you've got more? How do you know that you've got more? Because more means something more. <laughs> because more will never be achieved. You need one more dollar, and one more dollar, and one more dollar. And more will never be reached. And that's the problem with the human heart because more is always needed. We always go after more. In reality, more is not what we want. What we want is eternity. Because we are designed to be satisfied by eternity, we live a life chasing more. I know a friend of mine in the Bible how do you know that he is my friend? Because his life is just... No, he's a friend of mine. <laughs> he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, I think, or the reverse of that. So, thousand women in general. Just imagine when he started. Solomon started with one, two, and three. Maybe the first one asked him, what are you chasing? Oh, no, I want more. And then he got to three, then four. Then 10, maybe the wife thought, the first wife thought he's going to stop by 10, maybe. And then he finds himself 15 and then 20. And maybe the 10th wife thought he's going to stop by 20, but they found themselves at 100. And then the 99th thought, maybe I'm the last one, or 100, and then 200. It was not enough. The 200th thought it will be the end, and then... They find themselves who have 250, then 500, and then 1,000. Recorded women around him. Recorded. We don't know all the stuff that he was doing outside of that. The recorded women around him were 1,000, chasing more. The human heart is only satisfied by eternity. But instead, we chase more. Because more sounds like eternity. It doesn't have an end. 
There is a correlation between more and eternity. They both don't have an end. The only difference is eternity is found in God. More is around us. So when we chase more around us, what we are really chasing is eternity. But we are blinded. Because we think we can't find God. So we think, if I get this one, and that's one for me, and this one for me, and this one too, I will find God. It is a natural desire in every human heart, heart every one of us, to want more. Contentment is a discipline. To be content, one must go against our, their natural impulse. So the way you were designed is to want more because you want eternity. But you have to go against it, against that, to be content. It's a discipline. When Jesus saw that, he addressed it. He said, if you want to follow me, let me tell you how you're going to manage that impulse in you that wants more. So in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus said, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciples. Every one of you who does not say goodbye to his possessions cannot be my disciple. And we, got, we come back to our title of this series. What did Jesus mean by that? Is anything wrong with having stuff? <laughs> is Jesus against his disciples to enjoy life? Say goodbye to your TVs and your shoes. You have to say goodbye to your stuff. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's in the Bible. I, don't, I did not invent this. It is there. You can all see that. And the question is, what did Jesus mean by that? Last week, we looked at separation from self. So today we are going to look at separation from our staff. Remember that Jesus wants us to live a meaningful, fulfilling, and impactful life. He wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to live a meaningful life. And he wants us to have an impact on earth. And this is what he's telling us. For you to live a meaningful, fulfilling, and impactful life, this is the way. Separate from yourself from staff. Your own staff. So let's read that in NIV. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. If you not, do not give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciples. One, you cannot give up what you don't have. You cannot give up what you don't have. Followers of Jesus are encouraged to acquire as much stuff as they can, as much as they can acquire, then give it up. You cannot give what you don't have. Jesus is not encouraging material poverty here. Jesus is not saying if you come to him, you should be empty-handed. He's saying if you come to him, you should give up everything. Read the scripture clearly. Some people have used the scripture to encourage a poverty mentality. You cannot give up what you don't have. Jesus is saying the opposite. He says, disciples with the ability to make money should make a lot of money. Those with the ability to study should study as high as they can go. Those with the skills to work should work hard and smart. 
Those who can write should write as many books, articles, songs, novels as possible. Disciples of Jesus should use their talent and skills to achieve the maximum of their potential, then give it up for God's cause. You need to get it first before you give it up. You can't give what you don't have. Paul encourages the followers of Jesus to work. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. I pray always for business people in our church, and today I'm going to pray for you again. If you own a business, if you, whatever you are doing to earn some money, if you are working, may God bless you and increase you. It is not a sin to make money. Don't feel guilty for being comfortable. Don't feel guilty for having money to pay your bills. It's okay. To be born in a country that you have opportunities. It is okay. It's a blessing. I wish every country was like this one. It is a blessing and God is not against it. Nobody should make you feel guilty for being able to buy what you can afford. He's not against you living well. Followers of Jesus can build houses. They can buy new cars. They can send their children to school. They can go to nice holidays. However... Their heart should not be controlled by any of these things. Your commitment to Jesus must trump your commitment to your staff. Disciples of Jesus are those who are ready to give up everything at any time for Jesus. The problem is not having staff. The problem is being attached to your staff. You have permission Jesus gave us permission to have more. That will lead us to the second point. Give it all or keep it all. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, 22. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. You know the commandment, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all this from my youth. Then looked at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was stunned at this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Let's look at this man's story. This man was a nice person. He was the kind of person you would like to be friend with. Good language, good manners. He says it himself. He was a nice person. He had a sense of urgency. He did not walk toward Jesus. He ran toward Jesus. He wanted to know the truth. He had this sense of urgency. He understood the value of time. He knew if I just walk toward Jesus, I may be late. I may miss the opportunity. He ran to Jesus, meaning he wanted so bad to know the truth. He was not late at church like some of us do. He was on time. Jesus deceived him. He was on time. He had a sense 
of value of time. So he was better than more of us. He was humble. Look, if you read the scripture, he asked his question on his knees. He was not standing. When he came to Jesus, he was not say, oh, mate, how are you, mate? I have something to tell you, mate. No. He went to Jesus on his knees and he said, Lord, he honored Jesus. He did not call him mate. <laughs> he, he went to Jesus and called him Lord and asked his question on his knee. He was humble. He was smart. He displays his, 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 his brain, his, his smartness into asking the right question to the right person. He went to Jesus. He asked the right question. What can I do to inherit heaven? Smart man. Humble man. Sense of urgency. No wonder Jesus loved him. Ticked all the boxes. He was a good citizen and a good religious person. Every pastor will love this kind of person in his church. Why? He kept all the commandments from his youth. From his youth, he kept all the commandments. I'm amazed. You know why? Most of us, our biggest mistakes, we made them in our youth. But this guy, his youth was perfect. He had nothing to regret. All the foolishness that you and I did in our teenage he did not do those. He was a perfect man in the eyes of people. He did not break any window. No foolish decisions. And he's telling Jesus, everything you're asking me to do, I've done it. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus did not contradict him. Jesus did not say you are lying. No, Jesus loved him. It means... Jesus approved that this guy is really a nice guy. For Jesus not to contradict, Jesus was challenging people, you know. He did not challenge this one in that sense. He approved of him. He loved him. But Jesus looking at the heart. Ha, Jesus knew what the problem was. All these things you've done well, I will ask you one thing. Jesus said, but one thing, but one thing. The only test this man felt was his separation from his staff. Everything else in his life was perfect except he was attached to things. His commitment to his staff was stronger than his commitment to his eternal life. Remember, he came to ask a question about what can I do to inherit eternal life? That was the question. And then he was told, when he was told what to do to inherit the kingdom of God, he, he balanced, he put the two on the scale. Eternal life or my staff? Eternal life or my staff? And then my staff. He left grieving. Can you imagine? He left the place grieving. He did not even say bye. Just. <laughs> His good character did not save him. His religious behavior did not save him. He was so committed to his staff that he lost everything because of the one thing. He lost everything because of the one thing. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 verse 21, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's the one thing he lacked. One thing. Jesus knew that this man's heart was hooked into his riches. 
And that's exactly where Jesus went. That's what he addressed. Jesus does not want his disciple to worship anything but him. This man was worshiping his bank account. He was worshiping his earnings, his, his, his investment. He was worshiping his stuff. When we worship our staff, we become vulnerable to the enemy. Remember, we become vulnerable to the enemy. To overcome Satan, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Otherwise, everything else we put before Jesus, the enemy will use that against us. So Jesus does not want you to put him first for him to feel good. It's for you to be safe. It's for you to be safe. He wants you to be safe. That's why he's asking you not to put your stuff before him. Everything we use, everything we worship, everything we prioritize, the enemy will manipulate it. It becomes a remote control that the enemy will use for you. If you worship your work, the enemy will use it against you. If you worship your whatever, your bank account, your investment, whatever you worship, the enemy will manipulate it so that he can make you do what he wants you to do. When Jesus is at the center, the enemy can't control you. He knows even if he takes anything from you, he's not going to move you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he saw to your ancestors. As it is today, I want to confirm something with you. The young man forgot that the strength to make money came from God. The young man forgot that God is the source of the strength to make wealth. And he forgot that if he surrenders to God, wealth will follow. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and the rest will be multiplied, will follow you. Jesus is telling you today, you lack one thing. Do you recognize that God is the source of your wealth? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to walk away like the young man? Or are you going to surrender your staff to Jesus? Are you going to put God first in your finances? Or you want to remain in control of all of it? There are certain topics today that we can't talk about in the church unless we apologize first. You know some of them. I'm not going to mention them. And this is one of them. Church members are so sensitive to the topic of money. Like the pastor, we have first to apologize. You know, guys, I know, you know, you know, you know, you know, I know, you know, I know, you know, I know, you know, I know. And then money. Oh. Why do we have to apologize before we talk about money? Because our hearts our, are hooked to our money. If you want to touch me, touch my money. So it's a very sensitive topic because that's where people's hearts are. Talk about everything, don't touch their money. Nobody has said amen since I started. <laughs> know why? I'm talking about their stuff, their money. They earned it, their sweat. So remember, what you surrender to Jesus is blessed. What you keep to yourself is used by the enemy against you. Always remember this. Whatever you submit to Jesus, he will bless it and give it back to you. Whatever you keep to yourself will be used by the enemy. So let me go to the last point, which is, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. God is not after your stuff. 
He's after your heart. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is true. This is true. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. If you have savings in Commonwealth Bank, some of you have. Whatever happens to the CBA, to the Commonwealth Bank, matters to you. When you drop your children to school in the morning, your heart doesn't leave that school until they come back home. Am I right? Your heart is still at that school. Whatever you hear about that school affects you because you know my children are there. Your heart is there. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. It's a simple principle. Your heart goes where your investment is. So one lady told me one day, I'm very upset, my, my, my pastor, I'm very upset because my husband spends the whole day at work and she doesn't even send me a text message. And I said, why? why what, what's so important with the text message? That makes you so upset. She said, you know, I just want to know that she's thinking of me even when she's at work. Aha. The wife wants to feel like where she is is where the heart of the husband is. So when the husband spends the whole day without even texting, the wife feels like the husband doesn't care. The heart is not there. The bottom line is this. God wants our heart to be where he is. And the only way to get to our heart is through our treasure. Are you with me? God knows if he gets through if he touches our heart, our treasure, he will get to our heart. That's why he asked Abraham to give up his son. He wanted the heart. God did not want to eat the son. God did not want the son killed. He wanted the heart. He knew what was the most important treasure to Abraham was the son. God is asking you to put him first in your finances because he wants your heart. God does not need your money. He does not pay bills. Gold and silver are all his. God does not need your car. He does not drive. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is not after your house. He does not need a shelter. For him, winter means nothing. So God doesn't need a house. But whenever God asks you something, it's after your heart. He wants you, not your things. But the only way to get to you is through your stuff. So one would ask, but why would God be after my heart? So the, the first thing is, only God can satisfy your heart. So he knows that. That's the first thing. God is after your heart because your heart is eternal and so is God. While your heart is chasing more, God wants to offer you eternity. He can see you distracted trying to chase more. He wants you to come to him so that he can get you the thing you want, eternity. The human heart is designed to chase eternity because it is eternal. Instead, we find ourselves chasing more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. You may not be chasing more, but you are keeping more. Okay? Maybe you may say, no, I'm not like those people. You are not chasing more every, every, day, every day, but you are keeping more. You are keeping it with you. God is saying that also is detrimental. That's what the, 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 the young man did. He was keeping more. He was not chasing more. He was keeping more. 
Maybe that's your problem. You are afraid of losing more. <laughs> and the enemy knows how much you love your comfort. And he will use it against you. I'm not saying we should not sleeping on good mattress, mattresses. I'm just saying the enemy knows how much you love your comfort. So I, I have something for you here. The only way to overcome it is to tell your comfort this. Let's talk to our comfort if you want. Don't, you don't have to. Let's just open our mouth and speak to our comfort. Dear comfort. If you can, speak to your comfort. Dear comfort. You know I love you. So much. But I'm ready to give you up. Anytime. Because you have no place in my heart. Some people are not speaking. They love comfort so much that they feel like if I give away comfort, dear comfort, I love you so much. Please stay with me even if I say this. <laughs> dear comfort, don't listen to me even if I say it. He's making me say it, dear comfort. I love you so much. Don't listen to that man. I love you so much, dear comfort. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> That's what our heart is saying. Dear comfort, you know I love you so much, but I'm not ready to give you up, despite what the pastor is saying. Because you have a big plus in my heart. I will leave that to you. Two, God wants you for you. God is not lonely. God is not desperate. God is enough in himself and by himself. He does not need our company. In his love, God wants us for us. His presence fulfills us. When we find him, we find ourselves. When we find him, we find purpose. When we prioritize him, we live a meaningful, fulfilling, and impactful life. Who does want this? Meaningful life, fulfilling life, impactful life. I want this more than anything. And God knows it's only by putting him first we can reach this. God wants us for us, not for him. He wants us for us. It's out of love. God is asking us to put him first. Three, your heart controls your life. Whatever and whoever influences your heart influences your life. Satan is after your heart as much as God is. Satan uses stuff to get to you. So does God. He uses stuff to get to you. To resist the enemy, we must give up stuff. To give up stuff, we must allow God to occupy the top position in, our, in the list of our priorities. So, God may be not asking you to sell everything and give to the poor, but he's asking you something. I know not every one of us here, God, Jesus will tell, go and sell everything and give to the poor. That is not necessarily what God is telling you today. We may be wondering where we go from here, so I'm going to answer your question. The answer is simple. Put God first by understanding that all your stuff belongs to him. That's the first thing to do. All your stuff belongs to him. None of us came with his stuff and none of us will go with his stuff. They will outlast us. This stuff we are chasing now. The generation before us chased it. The generation after us will chase it. The only thing you will take with you is your heart. God owns everything. 10% belongs to God. 20% belongs to God. Belong to God. 50% belong to God. And 100% belong to God. 
So God is not after your 10% of, God, I've given you your part. This is my part. God is not after that. God wants you to say, God, it's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? I love my stuff. I love my comfort. It's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? God will let you enjoy as much as you want as long as your heart is with him. We cannot outgive God, my friends. Two, put God first in your finances through tithing offerings. Yes, I, I'm saying it. I see, can you hear the silence? The only person talking is Amen. the kid. The children, because they don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone who understands what I'm saying is silent. That's fine, but I'm not going to apologize for this. The way that God tests our heart is to make us put him first in our finances. So when God says give your tithe to, to him or give to, to him, he's just checking how you prioritize yourself. Let, let, let's say that God say no more giving your tithe to the church. Stop doing that. It's a, an old school fashion. Don't do it. Is it going to make you rich in two months? Is it going to solve all your problems? No, no, just tell me, if you stop giving to the church, let's assume that you forget about compassion, forget about the church, forget about all the things you give to, just keep your money to yourself, my friend. It's so important that you should save. You know, I'm teaching you some financial uh, lessons. Save and save and save and save. Are you going to become a millionaire in one year? There is joy in giving. So God wants us to give. And I'm not here to talk about 10% or 5% or whatever you feel in your heart you have peace with. Give to God. Put him first in your finances. That is a test. Equal sacrifice, not equal amount. We can't all give the same. But we can all feel the sacrifice the same. The last one. Put God first by meeting the needs around you. We are blessed to bless. Are there needs around you? Is someone around you in need of something? Rick one said it well. We are blessed to bless. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We all have something to give. All. All. There's no poor person here in the eyes of God. We can all give something to someone. We can mow somebody's lawn. Barbara. Margaret. We can go to their place and mow their lawn. It's more than money. Nobody has everything and everybody has something. Whatever you have, it is what somebody around you may need. So recognize that your stuff belongs to God. Put God first in your finances through tithe on offerings. Put God first by meeting the needs around you. Let's pray.